So then, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I must say I have thoroughly enjoyed as I was walking around uh, after the service, listening to everyone either humming or singing or whistling uh, <laughs> our closing song, uh, which is called something. <laughs> His mercy is more. <laughs> okay, hope, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll take a few more sips here. <laughs> However, we're discussing the topic of justification, so uh, this is something that I naturally get excited about, so maybe coffee is not the greatest idea. (laughs) But, um, Craig, it has been my custom since we've begun this class, I think, I think I've, Mm -hmm. I think I've done it every week, to open with a psalm and also a prayer written by someone from within the history of the church. I think I'm going to do two today, if that's all right with you. I'm going to do one one from the Middleburg Liturgy and another from the Book of Common Prayer, but I'll just combine them as one. The first is a prayer for illumination, and the second is a prayer for intercession. So I think they will both work well together. Um, but again, I told you about this book, I think it was last week, and probably before that. It's pretty cool. Uh, daily liturgy sort of thing, <clears throat> which seems to be all the rage right now. There's books being published about that in every category. We just ordered one for children. So it's uh, it's hot right now, I guess. Fresh from because I grew up in the church. Mm-hmm. We did that, and after I became a believer, yeah. I saw the richness of it. But right. But otherwise, it was just everybody basically did whatever they were supposed to do at the time. And then yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it can definitely turn to that, but even even in the roteness of it, uh, the truth yeah, true. that you're you're encountering as you do it. I think um, could, I mean, obviously by the the Spirit, soften even the hardest hearts that have been maybe hardened by routine. Yeah. Um, It probably had a lot to do with who was leading it, too, and just a reminder of the weight of being said and read. Yeah. Yeah, so I, and I'm 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 reading a prayer from the history of the church, um, specifically to show that we're not the first people who have thought about God, uh, to to connect us to the rich tradition that comes before us, so that we can see, uh, you know, I think we've read things all the way back to maybe the 1300s. I think we've read some Wycliffe. Um, but a lot of like Reformation era, 1500s, 1600s, uh, Bucer, Calvin, Luther, and the like. But just to connect us to the people who have gone before us, uh, there's a quote from a guy, he said it in the 12th century, his name was John, that was all he was called, uh, John of whatever city he was from. He said, we can see so much further when we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so there are many giants who have gone before us, and I think we will be able to see um, the truth of God at a much greater level 
if we stand on their shoulders. So that's why I'm doing it. Kind of my motivation. Um, <clears throat> or maybe I'm just a nerd. I don't know. Either way, I'm all right with it. So then, we will start with Psalm 96. Uh, and from Psalm 96, then, we will go straight into prayer for this morning. Taken from this book called Be Thou My Vision. Is that the right song? The right song. I think so. I, well, Brandon did the math this week, so it's probably a little bit better than when I do it. Uh, but he apparently does. Or is it you or Mike who doesn't math on the weekends? Right. No, I usually don't. Okay. All right. Well, we will read Psalm 96 uh, to set our sights on the God whom we discussed this morning uh, before we spend time in prayer. Psalm 96 says this: Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Well, let's pray. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that the seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as seen grown in good ground, it may bring forth thirty, sixty, or a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. And Almighty God, give us peace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Any thoughts on the passage or the prayer, either? There were two there, but... Hearing nothing, let's discuss justification. 
Uh, we will spend the majority of our time in Romans chapter 3, which will serve as our uh, biblical basis for what we discuss in terms of uh, the doctrine of justification. So then, uh, as a brief review, brief overview of where we've come, so far we've looked at God, Christ, and mankind. Uh, We've looked at each under three headings to see that God is the loving creator, supreme authority, and final judge. We looked at mankind, then, who was willfully ignorant, passionately rebellious, and therefore condemned to die. Uh, When we said last week, and the week prior to that as well, that the Lord Jesus stands in the middle. He bridges the gap that exists between God and mankind uh, to show... Uh, what what was necessary to do that. And we looked at Christ under three headings, that he is perfectly obedient, that he is the substitutionary sacrifice, and that he is victoriously risen. And so uh, those nine headings have, have, have directed our discussion thus far as we've considered God, mankind, and Christ. So then we move to justification. And as I said, um, this, is, this is kind of, uh, not, not that everything that came beforehand has been boring, because I don't think that, mm-hmm. but this has just been one of my interests, thought interests for a while, um, to consider the doctrine of justification. Now, I don't think that I was very clear last week in my um, assigning of homework. Uh, but there was supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to watch a sermon by R.C. Sproul. Did anybody watch that? Oh, yeah. wow. A lot of um, Latin in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Latin. He explained the Latin. Yeah. And I, I don't remember it all because when he got into talking about how the Catholic system works, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I the only way I would have remembered it was to make notes. And what I did, I just put some of it in my head and said, wow. Sure, sure. The one thing that stuck out was how he said, and I don't remember exactly the wording, but he said some of the saints have done things so above the rest that theirs are superior righteousness or something. I don't yeah. remember the word. Mm-hmm. And he said those are stored up, and those can be in the Catholic doctrine imputed yeah. to others. Yeah. And he said, here's what I don't like. He said, they don't go with our with what we say the Bible teaches on imputation. But they have their own system of yeah. imputation. Yeah, yeah, and they would probably more likely even call it impartation. Well, yeah, yeah. same idea. But yeah. so when we talk about imputation of righteousness of Christ, they mm. nonsense. Yeah. Yet they'll do the same basic thing right. based on supposedly these stored up righteousnesses of yeah. the super saints. Right. Yeah, and we'll get to that. I think that's supererogatory merit. Yeah, something I can't. I, yeah, there were so many terms thrown out. That yeah. I mean, but it, it was a good, um, it, it taught me a lot. It, it taught me that the Catholic system is quite complicated, yeah. and it's a study in itself. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. I know the basic problem yeah, with Catholicism, yeah, yeah. and I know how to argue with Catholics, but still, it, it was, it gave me a real deep view of the Catholic system. Yeah, yeah, so I, I would again recommend that, and I gave the link to Jim again, 
see if I can remember it, tinyurl.com slash bwbcss. If you go type that into your browser, it will take you right to, it's a sermon that he preached at a pastor's conference called Together for the Gospel. I'm going in April. But this was one of the first ones. I want to say maybe 2008 or somewhere around in there. Uh, RC has since gone home to be with the Lord. And he is deeply missed. Uh, so then, uh, that is, that's just a really great foundation for what I want to discuss today. So the first, the first thing that we need to do in our discussion of justification is give a definition. Now, there's the blank in front of you on your note sheet, and it is um, how you say verbose. It's a long definition, but I think each portion of this definition is beneficial, and it's something that, that, that serves a purpose. So, justification, the definition that we are working with comes from uh, a systematic theology textbook written by Wayne Grudem, and it says, he defines it as, justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and therefore declares us to be just or morally righteous in his sight. So that, that's a longer definition. If we were to boil that down, there's probably a saying that you've heard uh, that takes the word justified and gives it a little like turn of phrase uh, to say that justification is just as if I'd never sinned. We can, we can use that. But I think the longer definition <laughs> is also really important um, because you will encounter people who disagree at every point of this definition. But I think the definition as read is faithful to Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at today. So, firstly, the instantaneous legal act of God. If you watch the sermon from R.C., then you know that Rome, in the official Catholic teaching, would disagree with that, uh, where justification is a process. And I think what they do is confuse justification and sanctification. And so, so they're seeing... Justification is this process where you are falling in and out of a state of, of forgiveness. And so it's this process that happens at baptism. Uh, they would baptize uh, babies, but practice in such a different way than, than any, any other denomination would practice in saying that at baptism, what is happening is conversion, basically. It's the removal of original sin so that someone can enter into the state of justification. And already, <laughs> we're departing. Um, and so... What other, what other Protestant churches or denominations would come in that way? Um, I think Methodists are close to that. Church of Christ. 
baptismal regeneration. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And and so they're not they're not doing it with infants per se. No, but it's but it, it's the same, same. Yeah, where that is seen as the moment of conversion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. I grew up in a Methodist church. Okay. I was baptized when I was shortly after I was born, I guess. Sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, that was something going through the confirmation classes too. And right. The pastor who wasn't a believer. Yeah. Uh, no. what, what, yeah. what a statement to make. <laughs> and we were, in, all of us in that group were, I, can, I mean, I know I should speak my word. Yeah. Not very holy people. <laughs> not very living for the Lord at all. Right. Well, uh, let me say this. I grew up in the United Methodist Church too in New Jersey, and mm-hmm. they're the ones in New Jersey are far more left wing liberal than what you'll find in a lot here mm-hmm. get out in the, the country. But anyway, what I remember, one of the things I remember most was when we were little kids and they used to dress us in sports jackets and you slick our hair back in the time when Eve the Beaver was on. In the early 60s, mom used to send us to the Sunday school. We were in Sunday school, and there was this other kid that was there named Matthew. And him and I got along. But they were discussing uh, Exodus about the crossing of the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. So little Matthew raised his hand, and, and we had three teachers at that class. There was a married couple and some other woman. I don't know where she was single, divorced, but I don't know. But he asked, he said, they got to the part where they split the Red Sea, and, and Matthew raised his hand and, and asked, now, did Moses really split the Red Sea? Moses. Yeah. Okay? And the single woman said, well, you don't have to believe that if you don't want. <laughs> that's, that's one of my major impressions about the United Methodist, this of James United Methodist Church. That will never leave my mind. Yeah. So I, I've heard similar stories, <clears throat> um, but the point of there's a punchline that comes uh, with then uh, they'll explain that it was not actually a sea. It was probably like, like ankle deep or or something. My question is that if you read elsewhere, it says Solomon had his navy there Mm -hmm. in the Red Sea. Well, yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? Uh, (laughs) Well, the the punchline of that is the, the little kid goes home and his parents ask, so what did you learn in, in Sunday school today? Um, and he responds as, well, I, I learned that God drowned an army in a puddle. Yeah. And, and so basically all that to say when you throw out the Bible as inerrant. Yeah, how, would the, how would the Israelites have gotten through it? They're loaded down with all the loot they got from Egypt. Yeah. They're going to be wagons and horses. And, and how are they going to even get through that? Yeah. Well... There's there's a lot of explaining to do when you when you no longer believe the Bible as what it says it is. Yeah. So then justification, instantaneous legal act of God, and he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. We talked about that a little bit last week as the great exchange where on the cross what is happening is is Jesus who had no sin is taking our sin upon himself, but not only that He's giving us what only he could truly earn, which is righteousness, and giving it to us such that God declares us to be just 
We are morally righteous in his sight. And that is amazing, right? And, and so you can see why I get excited about the topic of justification. Uh, but then, let's go to Scripture. I want us to read from Romans chapter 3, and we'll read verses 19 to 28. As, as we do so, pay attention to how often words like righteous or justified or justification or, or things relating to that root are used. Because this is serving as our basis, our foundation for our discussion on justification. And so I just want us to see in this short passage how frequently it comes up. So then, in Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 19 is where we'll start. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So where did you see righteousness, justification, those sort of things in that passage that we just read? (laughs) Yeah, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He took, he took the righteousness he had and we have something to hope for. Yeah, he gives it to us. I think basically each verse has either justified or justification or something re- relating to that, the redemption. Yeah. Propitiation, which I always... <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> Early on, we're hit with that um, no one is justified by the law. Mm. Yeah. In verse 20. So then, how are we justified? It does eventually tell us. See verse 24. I did read that it's justified by his grace. The, the word law came up nine times. Oh, okay. As you were reading, I was, oh. Yeah, nine yeah. Times. Interesting. And 22 is through faith in Jesus Christ. Yep. And 23, it's, it states again, for all have sinned. I mean, that's a vast yeah. amount. That's everybody who's ever lived and will ever live. 
in 26, show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Keep that one in mind. We'll discuss that a little bit further. 28, where it says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And so as, as, we, as we look at justification, as we look at uh, the different ways that justice or, or righteousness or justified is used in the passage that we've just considered, uh, keep this in mind as well. The word justified, which we see in Romans 3.20 and 24 and, and the places that we've looked, it comes from the same word as the, as the word righteous or righteousness does. And so when we think about justification... It has to do with our standing before God and whether or not we can stand before Him as righteous. And so that means that justification is central to the gospel. And, and part of this class, part of the hope for, for what we're doing here on a Sunday morning from 10.45 to 11.45 each day, each week, is, is hoping that, that we are able to better grasp the gospel for ourselves, better grasp what, what it means that we are justified and can stand righteous before a holy God. But there's also a second hope that is like unto it, that we are then better able to share the gospel. And, and so we need to have a clear grasp and understanding of what it is that took place in our lives so that we can share that with others. So we're looking for understanding, but we're also looking for clarity in our sharing. Because as we read, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we stand before God, outside of Christ, unrighteous and condemned. But as we consider justification... We learn that God is full of mercy. We already learned that today. And compassion. And that God steps in and brings His very righteousness to us. Something that we could not do ourselves. So, justification. When we think about what this means, that it is the instantaneous legal act of God by which He declares he thinks of our sins as forgiven and thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us to be just or morally righteous in His sight. Uh, means that we are more than just innocent. So, so the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us on the cross more than just takes away our innocence. More than just gives us innocence. So there's, a, there's an, an illustration that's pretty common to use here. Um, this is not my own, so I'm going to read it because it's not my own. And it, it puts us in a courtroom. So it says, imagine yourself standing before the bench of the judge, waiting to be sentence, sentenced to death for a crime that you committed. As the verdict is announced, and you are declared guilty, something shocking happens. The judge rises from his place walks out to where you're seated and tells the bailiff to release you. As you stand free in shock, you watch as the judge himself is placed in your chains, taking your punishment and penalty. 
You are set free because of the substitution of the judge on your behalf. Now many times, we stop here in our analogy of salvation. But the Bible continues. And it's much better still. Instead, after being released from your chains, the judge leans over to you and hands you his keys saying, I want you to possess all that I own. My car, my house, my bank account, it's all yours. This really is what we are talking about when we talk about justification. Not only are we set free from the penalty of our sins, but we are given the very righteousness and perfection of Jesus. Again, back to last week, we talked about the great exchange, double imputation, where we are given, we are, we are forgiven, but then also given the righteousness of Christ. And to, to even try to express that in words, you know, we're going to be left wanting. Uh, so for the artists among us, Craig, there's a blank on your sheet. Here, if you haven't filled it up with, with writing already, maybe I should have said this earlier. I want you to draw three circles because I want I, we're going to picture this a little bit. They don't have to be big circles. I can do that. Okay. They they do have to be perfect circles though. Okay. So. Under these circles, I'd like you to write the following words. Under the first one, write guilty. If you had to depict in that circle guilt, what might you do? Color it in. in. Exactly. So, your first circle can look something like that. This is a... This is high-tech stuff here, so I hope, you're, hope you appreciate this. Guilt. Just color it in. You're guilty. Now, draw a second circle, if you haven't already, and write the word innocent. How might you depict innocence under that circle? Or in that circle? Not coloring it in. (laughs) Man, you guys are good. So it might look something like this. Again, high-tech stuff here. Now there's a third circle. And under the third circle, write the word righteous. How might you depict righteousness? Color yellow. (laughs) Did you bring a yellow colored pencil with you? No. No. Come on, we were in lockstep until right here. Oh, Cheryl had me. <laughs> so so this 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 pictorially represents the process that takes takes place. Let's not stop at the middle circle. Especially in our in our own lives to to think of, you know what? Yeah, okay, good. I, I I'm, you know, I'm seen as 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 forgiven. 
Well, there's so much more to it than that. We have the very righteousness of Christ. And that surely will affect the way that we live, but it will also help us in our sharing uh, to call people to, to the beauty that is the gospel. But this brings up a question. The, the question that we must ask is, is the prob- it's presented as the problem of justification. How can a just God forgive guilty people? So, so the problem is this. God is holy. We are not. And, and that, that is a problem, right? God cannot be in the presence of sin. So how are we to enter into his presence? To be in relationship with him? It's going to take work of someone outside of us. So the problem of justification, how can a just God forgive guilty people? We already read in Romans 3.25, they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The problem of justification is solved by the redemption that is in Christ Jesus because of what we read is it I wrote down 2.25. No, it's actually 3.25. Because of what we read in 3.25, where we see Jesus... Yeah, sorry, 3.25 on your paper. Jesus is put forward as a propitiation through faith in His blood. Now, there are two terms that we need to define. This, we're definition heavy today, I'm sorry. But not really, because this is important. <laughs> So the first one is redemption. We're justified freely by His grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, redemption, let's, let's just move, they're both on the screen here. That's the Bible verses. Redemption is a debt repaid. So, our sin incurs debt against a holy God. So redemption is a debt repaid. Before God, we owe a tremendous debt and we are unable to pay it back. But praise God that the blood of Jesus does what we cannot. That it pays the debt that our sin owes. Now, How does it do that? It's because Jesus is offered as a propitiation. Don't be scared by the big word. (laughs) Plain and simply, propitiation is a wrath-removing sacrifice. So we, we realize that outside of Christ, we stand condemned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we stand rightly under His wrath. But because of the blood of Jesus, because Jesus is set forth as the wrath-removing sacrifice, that wrath is taken in our place. So God is angered and insulted by our sins. So the only thing that could fix it is a wrath-removing sacrifice. And Jesus satisfies the wrath of God that should have been spent on us. 
Romans 3.26 says it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, the problem of justification, how can a just God forgive a guilty people? It, it requires the penalty to be paid. Because God, God can't just turn His face and say, you know what, I'm going to act like that sin never took place. You know, consider, consider your debt canceled without doing anything about it. The holiness of God demands that a debt be paid. And so in order for God to remain as just, He must also be the justifier by presenting the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who steps in and absorbs the wrath that we deserve. And so that I, I just love Romans 3.26. He is just and the justifier. So he doesn't just blindly turn his face to sin. He sends his, his son, Jesus, to take the penalty. But he's also the justifier because he's the one who sends Jesus. And we accept that by faith, which we will get to here in just a second. Um, I have... Any, any questions so far? Because I have another illustration, a, a story from a pastor at John MacArthur's church, and I can't remember his name. Oh, there it is. Fred Barshaw. He's an elder at uh, Grace Community Church. Any questions so far? I have one. Give it to me straight. Mostly, it's a question. Not a statement. Okay, what is justification? It's a legal act we receive at Christ. gives us His righteousness. Therefore, declares us to be just and morally righteous in His sight. So, if we're considered, we have the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. Why do I always hear you're a rotten sinner? <laughs> Maybe because you are. <laughs> so, so we we could we could we could continue to Romans chapter seven and see, yeah and and see Paul refer to himself as, oh, wretched man that I am, right? And, and so there's, there's the battle that exists within us between the flesh and the spirit. When, when, we are, when we are saved, when we experience justification in a moment, the Holy Spirit comes to us through regeneration and, and in, indwells us to live inside of us. But we still have the sinful flesh and so there's, there's this battle that exists between the flesh and the spirit. And I think when, when we're saying something like, you're a, what, what's the phrase? You're, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, Jim. I, I think what we're referring to is, would be the times in which we are living by the flesh instead of being controlled by the spirit. So, Fred Barshaw, an elder at Grace Community Church, tells this story. Once upon a time, in a kingdom far, far away, there lived a great king. He was simultaneously the most powerful man in the kingdom, as well as, as, well as the kindest and gentlest man in the entire realm. The kingdom was known for its peace, harmony, and goodwill. Neighbors cherished one another, and years would pass without a single crime being committed. One day, however, 
the chief servant of the merciful king, came into the throne room with ill tidings. There's a thief in the realm of your kingdom, sire, said the servant. The king was astonished. Find that thief, and when you do, bring him to me. He will be punished with ten lashes. Those in the room were astonished. It had been so long since a crime had been committed that they could hardly imagine who would have done such a thing. A week went by, and the servant again made his way into the throne room. I have bad news for you, sire, the servant reported quietly. The thief has not been found, and he continues to rob from your people. In anger, the king raised his voice and said, Find the thief, and when you do, he will receive twenty-five lashes. The people began to murmur among themselves. Who could withstand such a punishment? Who could possibly be committing such a crime? But as time went on, the servant once again came back into the throne room with yet another bad report. Your Majesty, the thief has not been found. We've searched in vain for him. Your people are still being robbed. The king was enraged. Find that wretched thief. And when you do, his punishment will be 50 lashes. Now the people were filled with dread. They were not even sure that the king himself could withstand such a punishment. And if he could not, then certainly no one could. Who could be doing such a thing? Soon afterward, the servant again approached the king in his throne room. His face was pale, and his voice timid and hollow. Your Highness, spoke the servant, the thief has been found. Bring him to me this instant, cried the king. The crowd that had poured into the throne room slowly parted, revealing the thief who now stood trembling in the middle of the room. To the utter, utter shock and dismay of all, it was the king's aged mother. There she stood, trembling and crying. Her small and frail body was shaking with fear and shame. She was, perhaps, the very last soul that anyone would have suspected of such a crime. And there stood the king, in shock, deeply wounded. The crowd began to wonder and murmur among themselves, What will the merciful king do? Will he set aside the law and display his love and mercy by forgiving his mother for her crimes? Or will he display his sovereignty and justice by giving her exactly what she deserved? Will he choose mercy, or will he choose justice? The king raised his hand to quiet the crown. Quiet the crowd. Bring the whipping post, he said. The crowd was dumbfounded. Would the king truly have his mother receive such a punishment? Even the king could scarcely receive such a flogging. This frail woman would not last even a few strokes. The old woman was tied to the post. Her garment was rent, exposing her back to the whipmaster. Her ribs could be counted for her frailty. Administer the lashes, said the king. Not a sound could be heard as the whip was raised. But just as the whipmaster was about to unleash his first stroke, the king cried, Halt! The crowd sighed in utter relief, but not for long. The king stood from his throne. He slowly removed the crown from his head, laying it upon the regal seat. As he began to walk down the stairs towards his mother, he laid aside his royal robe and finely woven tunic. Coming to his mother, he wrapped his enormous body around her, completely enveloping her under his frame. Now administer the lashes, said the king. Thus, in one act, 
did the king display pure mercy and perfect justice, so as to be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What do you think of that? Person who was with him, he was going, Hey, um, you can get me killed after I kill you. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just reminded of um, a while back, I was listening to Matt Chandler, message, and he was talking about mercy and God's great mercy on us and our justification, but. But that God is violent towards sin. Mm-hmm. And um, say, like, look, at, look at hell and look at the cross. And, and um, which is, for me, it was like a, a good reminder and kind of really pierced my heart as far as like to not take sin lightly. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, you know, not play around with sin. Yeah. Even you know, in light of like being justified and made right. Yeah, because there's one who has taken the punishment for that sin. Mm-hmm. Thinking of the punishment, it's it's something that um, no one can tolerate or no mm. one can handle. Right. On their own, so it's easy to picture a you know, your your frail mother or grandmother, uh, but that's us. Yeah, absolutely. I think the story depicts the, the personal mm. um, connection. Like at some level, we kind of look at the act, you know, the cross that's with Jesus. Yeah. We kind of look at it through a kind of a sterile or distant lens as opposed to you know, a son draping his own body over his mom. Yeah. Yeah. There's just a personal that I think we need to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Amen. That was pretty good. Pastor Tim just said the son, the son of God, did the same thing for us. Yeah. He emptied himself. And Matt read that earlier, taking on the form of a servant. And through that, accomplish the work of salvation. There's where the situation comes in. Yeah. The wrath has been removed because of the work of Christ on our behalf. So, how do we receive justification? By faith alone. Uh, we've got just a few minutes here, and I am going to finish one topic in one week. I never would have thought that it would be justification, but that's what we're doing. We receive justification by faith alone. I think this is the overwhelming testimony of Scripture. Uh, I've got three verses listed, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by in Christ 
and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is a memory verse from earlier in our class, says, For by grace you have been saved through... This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, so here, here's, what, here's what we cannot miss. Justification comes as a result of God's grace, His free gift, which means we don't deserve it, nor can we earn it. Justification also comes to us by faith, which means that we trust God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Right standing before God cannot be earned, though we try and try. It comes by grace through faith. So that being said, I want to wrap up with with false views of justification uh, and some of these may take longer than others, but we've got five minutes to do it. So, firstly, religion. Religion says that good works equal justification. Now, I am not allergic to the word religion. I think that there are many who would say today religion is a bad thing. But I think James would say otherwise. Religion that is pure and undefiled is this, that it takes care of widows and orphans. But religion can be used wrongly. And in this sense, where we're saying good works equals justification, what we're doing is trying to earn the favor of God and hoping that when God looks down on me, the good that I have done will outweigh the bad that I have done. And so God will say to me, all right, you've tipped the scales in one direction. You're good. I accept you. But that's not how it works. Uh, To think of uh, a religious system that would teach this, maybe consider Islam, where the good, if it outweighs the bad, you're ushered into the acceptance of God. I'm going to take these out of order because I think Catholicism will take just a minute. Next, we'll flip to decisionalism, which is already, you already see Rome up there, but that's fine. Decisionalism says a profession of faith equals justification. And so basically, we take Romans 10, uh, is it 10 9? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and focus on the confess with your mouth part. And this is something that has been popular in, in modern evangelicalism, that all you have to do to be accepted by God is profess with your mouth. You don't have to have any sort of, of life change. You don't have to have any sort of pursuit of holiness. As long as you quote-unquote pray the prayer, you're good to go. But... <laughs> That's not how it works. There is uh, this process of sanctification that necessarily comes after justification. That the one who saves you is then the one that you focus on becoming like. And so your life changes drastically when you encounter the holiness of God. Thirdly, which is actually fourthly, is legalism. Which says justification is by faith but right standing with God is by good works. In part, yeah. 
which it's a whole system developed around this. Uh, but the legalist's mistake is that they're basing the reality of right standing with God on progress made in sanctification. So legalism is, is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Oftentimes in, in legalism you'll see the addition of commands to the Word of God. Where you think, okay, God's Word has said this, but if I go a little bit further, then God will be more pleased with me. And so you're trying to, to you know, present a better picture of yourself to God so that He will accept you. Now, thirdly, fourthly, and finally, Roman Catholicism says, faith plus good works equals justification. Now, R.C., in the sermon that you're supposed to listen to, you have the link, hopefully, um, explained this in much greater detail. But, but basically, the system, and I, if you want me to define the different types of merit, I can. But basically, what, what we see in the system that is Rome is you are brought into the state of justification. You are forgiven at your baptism. And then there is the penitential system, which has uh, different things, uh, marriage is included, last rites, uh, first communion. This is way out of order. Uh, but, but different things that you are doing to earn the favor of God and re-enter justification. Uh, you go to confession, confess to a priest, and, and they say to you, do these works of penance. And so basically, in that system, it's, it's a legalist system, but what you're doing is trying to add to the finished work of Christ. You're trying to add to the sacrifice that, that he has already completed. And, spoiler alert, you can't do that. And so, uh, oftentimes, and I think R.C. says this, that we, we present the system of Rome as good works equals justification. But that's not the entire uh, picture because they do say faith is necessary, but it's faith and good works. And that's seen in the different types of merit um, that they have. So then, these truths, and there was a, supposed to be a discussion. Maybe we can start with this next time. But the truth of justification by grace through faith should, should cause us to realize, I don't have to earn what has been freely given. There's freedom in that. And so we can live the holy lives that we're called to live because God has done an amazing work in us, brought us into his family, made us just, made us holy, made us righteous in his sight. And so our lives are lived then in a response of worship to him. We become a living sacrifice to stick with our Roman series. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll discuss that a little bit further next week. But any questions? Before I close this in prayer. Yeah, interesting. I think we yeah. need to be continually reminded of that because we can easily drift one way or the other. Yeah. And we need each other to kind of keep us. Yeah, keep straight. From, yeah, I have a suggestion. Okay. Next week, we'll go through James chapter 2 in this. Okay.
we might do that. I don't know. James 2. So, like, like, faith without works is dead? Yeah. I think that would be good. Preach what I want you okay. to preach next week. That would be a good idea. Couple this with that. All right. Well, anything else? We'll close in prayer. All right. uh, Father, we're so thankful for the work you have done for us in Christ. Cause us to live our lives as a response of worship to what you have done. May we do it empowered by your spirit for your glory and for the good of the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.